just show you where we're headed. Um, you know, after the service, we've been talking about. Gina said we've been talking about the light acronym. You know, loving God. They always love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the Iowa's for investing your time, your talent, your treasure today. We're going to talk about going to the loss of the hurting. But after the service, and I want you to just be thinking about this right now, because some of you are just kind of like stuck in place. It's like you've been here forever. And so the Bible says that there is an anointing that breaks the yoke. It's that kind of breakthrough anointing. And I know that some of you need that right now. So at the end of the service, our, our leadership, our deacons and elders, and some of our youth are going to be up here, and we would like to anoint you with oil, and you know, it's good in the Bible, and uh, we want to pray over you. you know, some of you just need that little, uh, that little push, you know, off the cliff. Uh, you know, we're going to help you jump this morning, okay? And, uh, uh, you know, when I was, uh, you guys, some of you heard me tell the story before when I was uh, in the army, I was with, uh, I was stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia, I was with the parachute, I went to Fort Bragg, I was with the special forces there. Fort Bragg, the special forces, I was at Fort Bragg. Who said that? Got some, some uh, army buds here. But, uh, so I was going through jump school, and, you know, honestly, there were a lot of guys that had, were on the plane. They had never been on a plane before, and the first time they're on a plane, they don't get to land, you gotta jump out. I mean, if you've never been on a plane before, I mean, it's quite an interesting experience. And so, I mean, I'm sitting there, and, and I'm just like, you know, I didn't fall that much, and I do, I'm gonna check it out. Well, the plane that we're flying in, I think it's a C-119, had these little round, you know, holes, kind of like four holes that you can turn around and look at. Now, I'm gonna check out the landscape, and, and so the, the back seat was like a bench that had all of this webbing in it. And so as I turned around to look out the window, all my ripcord, my static line, starts just unfolding. And my buddy's like, you know, Sergeant, Sergeant, you know, come over here. And so, man, he looks at me and he's like, the worst thing that you can do. I mean, I, I didn't mind being like the sheep going to slaughter. I didn't mind if I was like in the middle of the group. But there was no way that I wanted to stand in the door. I mean, when you when you're standing in the door, you're waiting. You're you're waiting there, and the engines are just like ripping, roaring loud, and the wind is just about to suck you out of the plane. And uh, I mean, everybody's screaming. You can't follow the normal voice because you know the the uh, the noise of the engine. And so the sergeant gets me up. The drill sergeant gets me up and puts me in the door. And I hear him yelling to the guy behind me. He said, "Don't." You jump until I make sure his chute opens. I'm like, seriously? You want me to go? Are you talking about me? My chute opening? I can see myself slapping the side of that plane. So um, I need a little help with my jump. And so sometimes in our spiritual walk, you need a little help with your jump. Okay? And so that's what we're going to do after the service this morning. We're going to pray for you. So join me for just a second. We're going to go before this prayer. God, we bless you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your love. And thank you for your presence that's already here this morning. Thank you for our worship, our worship team. And Lord, we just so sense your presence in worship this morning. Just so grateful that you're here. Thank you, God, that you love us and that uh, you have a plan and purpose for us. Your word says, I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you. I know that you, know, the, you, you have a future. You have a hope in the future. And for those of you that feel like you're just kind of like stuck on the cliff, I'm going to just say that God is saying to you that you have a hope and you have a future this morning. But sometimes, like here, 
we got to get out of the boat like standing on the edge of that cliff. you got to jump to see God show up in your life. You know, he's just waiting for you to take that first step. He'll be there. And I promise you, I promise you, he will not let you fall. He will not let you fall. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, all right. Uh, we're in uh, Luke chapter uh, 15. And um, let me just give you just a little background on this, if, if I can, please. Uh, the, um, Jesus is having this discussion with, uh, well, wait a second, let me just give you a couple of little things you know, that we need. I know that, uh, uh, you know, I, I see, you know, we've been passing this church right here again for almost, you know, close to 20 years now. Um, and I see all kinds of people coming to church. I see people that come, come in and they're like on the sidelines and they don't really get too involved. I see other people that come in and just like, I mean, day one, they roll up their sleeves, just like, you know, point in some direction, show me where to go. I just want to say that Karen and Kevin, you know, you guys stay there for just a second. I'm going to embarrass you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm so proud of you guys. You know, you guys can't get involved with your sleeves. It's like, really, it's love being a homeless ministry. And Karen's getting both. And, you know, you guys are passing out. And I just want to say I'm proud of you guys. You know, thank you. And, you know, I don't want to give you a sleep bag, we need gloves. You know, there are people out there that are sleeping under bridges every night that, you know, they need something. So, uh, I'm proud of our, you know, the homeless ministry, Danny and Henry, you know, yesterday, and all that team that served, you know, awesome. It's so nice to see you guys just stepping up to the plate and helping those that are disadvantaged. Um, again, mark your, uh, your calendar, March 16th, uh, Franklin Graham is coming to the, uh, the Capitol. Uh, I believe that this is going to be a, a huge turning point in San Fe. I mean, uh, we're going to spend one hour there in prayer, mark your calendar, and be there. So, the background of this story is that Jesus is talking to two different groups of people. He's talking to this religious group of people, uh, you know, that they, that, you know, they're just like, keep the law, you gotta do this, you gotta, you know, you know, all of these things, all the do's and all the don'ts, you know, that, you know, that they just lay out. This is what you can do, this is what you can't do, this is the way that you live your life. And then there's another group of people that are a bunch of drunks and prostitutes and you know, Jesus is spending time with them, talking to them, and, and these religious guys are saying, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, you know, you're, you're defiling yourself by being, but, you know, the, you know, all the drunks and all the sinners, and, uh, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is a friend of sinners, and, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, I don't even know it's still true today, that Jesus is the best friend that you and I could ever have. I mean, he is a friend of sinners, and he loves you. And there's nothing that you can do to stop him from loving you. And so you've got this kind of this conservative group and this liberal group, kind of like we have in our country today. And believe it or not, they couldn't get along then, and 2,000 years later, they still can't get along. So, um, anyway, so Jesus begins to tell the story. He tells the story about a man that had a hundred sheep, and he lost one. And, uh, you know, he's just concerned about it. He's lost it. He's concerned about this lost sheep. I'm, I'm just going to kind of, you know, uh, take the fact that he's kind of run with me on this, okay? We're going to move through this quickly, and I'm going to read them all. But, uh, you know, um, so he's lost the sheep, and, you know, he's just like, you know, he just says that he leaves the 99 sheep in the fold, and he goes and looks for the one that is lost. And then when he finds it, you know, he said, rejoice with me. Now, I'm going to focus on that, that, 
that phrase, rejoice with me, he said, I found my lost sheep. And then he tells a story about a woman that had ten silver coins and she loses one of them. And she sweeps her house and, you know, she's all upset. She you know, lost this coin. But, you know, after she searches diligently, she finds the coin. And again, she says, rejoice with me. I, you know, I, I found the coin that I've lost. And then Jesus picks up. And we know this story is the prodigal son. But I want us to look at it in just a little bit different light today. I don't want us to look at it uh, as just the prodigal son. It said the man had two sons. And we typically focus on the bad one. You know, we think one's, one's a good son, one's a bad son. But as we really dig into the story, we're going to find out both of them had their issues, and both of them had their problems, but both of them had a God of heaven and a father of love for both, regardless of you know, who they were or what they were doing. It says the man had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And some of your translations would say, your inheritance, give me my share of the inheritance. What he was really saying is, uh, you know, Dad, you know, like, let's just, you know, I wish you were dead. You know, let's just pretend you're dead. Give me, just go ahead and go through the motion of you being dead. Give me my inheritance that I would receive after you die. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing about the story is not that the, the kid asked for it. I think the amazing thing is that the father gave it to him. You know, just... You know, that's the way you feel. You, you, you think that I'm dead, and you know, you want your inheritance, and you want to be by yourself. And you know, he could the father would have said, Absolutely not. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. It's going to be in the seat of your pants. You know, uh, that's what my dad would say. But the father, you know, recognized that, you know, you can't, you know, by, by control, you can't force the son to love you. And the father recognized that. And he gave the son the freedom. And it says that uh, he gives, he divides the property. It says not long after that, the younger son got all of that, that he had. And he set off to a distant country. And he squandered his wealth and wild living. He spent everything there. There was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. And he went and hired himself out as a citizen to that country who sent out and sent out to the field to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill the stomach with the pods and the pig for eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, I love this. I mean, it's just like, man, it's just like the light comes on. You know, it's like all of a sudden he realizes that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sent him to heaven. It's kind of an interesting term. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about how reverent the name of God was and, you know, they used the, the word Yahweh, but they took out the vows and so... You know, it was, it was not, you know, there was no doubt that it was pronounced it. And, and this is very similar right here. The statement right here is very similar. The kingdom, he said, you know, I've sinned against heaven. Well, you know, when you sin against heaven, you sin against God. It's just a very reverent way of saying that I've sinned against the Lord. And then he goes, this, he goes on to say, um, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And uh, how did he sin against the Father? I mean, he wasn't even there. He went to a distant land when he was doing all the sinning. But, you know, what he did was, you know, the reputation that he had and the shame that he brought on his father and on his father's house. And uh, he said, I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. Uh, make me as one of your hired servants. He's kind of rehearsing what he wants to say. And he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran for his son. And, uh, you know, he kissed him. I can imagine, you know, can you just imagine, you know, the son coming back? This son coming back, and you know, all the things that are going through his mind. You know, when you got in trouble as a kid, you know, it was the last thing. I mean, you know, my mom would say, You just wait for your father to come. I'm like, man, I've been mad a long, long time. 
It's like I thought about it every second. You know, what's it happening when I thought it was on? You know, he didn't go say, go get a switch. Uh, go get a beer one. Uh, let's roll the road get the switch for you. You know, it's like, man, you know, all these things are going through your mind. You know, all the torment, you know, is going through your mind. I learned right away, you know, when my mom told me to get a switch, you think the skinniest thing on the branch, you know? I mean, like, you bring in just a little twig, you know? I wanted it to be in before she even did it with it. But, uh, I mean, all of these emotions that are going through his mind, you know, how, how am I going to be received? How's he going to accept me? You know, it's going to be the biggest I told you so ever I, I've ever heard in my life. You know, I told you not to do that. You know, uh, you know, it's just, you know, all of the thoughts, the fear that the apprehension of coming back. And then it says that he sees his father running down the road, you know, it's just like running with his arms out, like, you know, is he going to punch me? What's going to happen? And what is getting ready to happen? Here and now, and then we see that you know the father is full of grace and full of compassion. You know, just he says, the father says to him, "Quick, bring the best robe and put it on, and put a ring on his finger, and uh, put sandals on his feet, and bring the fat, fat calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and let's celebrate. That's that rejoicing thing again." That's what rejoicing and suffering, that's what rejoicing looks like. For this son of mine was dead and alive, and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And so we're talking about going from the lost and the free. You see, the father was willing to go to him. You know, the father was really, really willing to make those first steps out. You know, it's like he's longing, he's looking for the son, you know, coming down the road. I don't don't think this happened to. You know, the father was busy about his business and then just happened one day, oh, you're going to that lost son of mine. I think every day, day after day after day, I think the father stood at the window, stood at the door, and looked over the hill and looked at that road going over the hill and, you know, is it, is it today? Or I know that one of these days he's coming back. I just saw in my heart that one of these days my son's coming back. And, uh, you know, and then he looks and finally sees that day, that day, that dream, that career to be fulfilled. And, and here comes that, that lost son. That son that was dead and now is alive. And I'm going to tell you guys, every one of us in this room has been in that place. Maybe some of you are still in that place today. But the Bible says that, you know, the, the, that's what Jesus told the Nicodemus. He said, you've got to be born again. You need, if you're coming into the kingdom of God, you are dead. You are spiritually dead. You know, the Bible says that, you know, that we are we're made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. We'll read a scripture that makes reference to that in just a moment. But that here, there were three parts. We have a body, we have a soul, that's our mind, our will, and our emotion, and we have a spirit. And that's the part of us, our heart part, that communicates with God. And so in the garden, when God was talking to Adam and Eve, and he said, the day that you sin, the day that you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Well, we know that they talked to them one another, they were hiding from God, they were physically dead. The part of them that was dead was that communication, that relationship with God. And God has come back to put all of that back together. That's what the word reconcile means. To put back together once what once was. And that's what God, that piece of the business of, of reconciliation. Just keep on with our story. And so it says that, then we switch. We, we switch to Act 2 here. Talk about the younger son. He was the unrighteous one. And now we're going to talk about the older son, who is the self-righteous one. It says that meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and he came near the house. He heard the music and the dancing. Wow, music and dancing, imagine that. He said, and he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. He said, your brother's come home, he replied. Your father's killed a bad cat because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
Now notice this is the second time the father has to go out. He had to go out to get the younger son, he has to go out to get the older son. And he goes out, he's having this dialogue with the, with the older son, and he says, uh, the older brother was, uh, was angry, refused to go in, and uh, father pleaded with him, and uh, he answered his father, he said, look, and I don't know what would have happened if I'd have said that to my dad. <laughs> I would have been looking in a different direction. Look, <laughs> after all these years, I mean, he's just not laying it on the line, you know. All these years, it's like, he's got that you owe me attitude. You know, I'm entitled. All these years, look at all these things that I've done. I've been slaving for you. I've never been disobedient to your order. If you never gave me a young girl so that I could celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours who slaughtered your property, the prostitute comes home, you kill the fatted cat for him? My son, the father's dead. You're always with me. And everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He was lost. And now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. I mean, can you see that? I mean, that's the grace of God. It's the grace of God in both of these guys. You know, you have one that's just real religion. I've done everything. I'm like a Pharisee. I'm like, you know, it's like the beginning of the story. We're talking about Jesus talking to the, you know, the, the sinners, the, the, you know, the, those who are drinking wine, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. And then he was talking to that group of religious leaders. You know, Jesus had a way of telling stories that, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. But Jesus had a way of telling stories that he really didn't have to take notes. It was just like, and he said it so clear and so plain. That it was just so, it was just so, you know, he really got the point. And when he begins to tell this story, you know, you start to think about, you know, identity. And, you know, who, who, I, who, am, I, who am I most like? Am I most like the, the younger son that, you know, was rebellious, disobedient, you know, wanting to live a life of sin, didn't want anything to do with my father's house or his rules or his regulations, or am I more like the religious son that, you know, I've done all of these things. Remember the son that we talked about? We talked about the rich man last week that, you know, Jesus said, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told me, he said, well, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, and don't, you know, don't lie. You know, he left off almost, he named everything except for being covetous. And, and the guy said he was very wealthy, very rich, and he told him to go sell what he had, and, you know, it was like, you know, go sell what you have, and he was like, oh, man, you, you just touched on the source problem. You touched on the source problem. So, so we see Jesus here. Now, we talk about an unrighteous son, we talk about a self-righteous son. Now I want to talk about the righteous son of God. Because in the Father, in the Father, we see Jesus. We see Jesus reaching out to the sinner, and we see Jesus reaching out to the religious person, the one that's represented by the older son. And it's grace. It was grace to the older son, and it's grace to the younger son. It was grace to the, the self-righteous son, and it was grace to the unrighteous son. It was grace. And it was all about grace. Neither one of them did anything. The Father goes after both. It's the heart of God. And so when we uh, we, we, we look at the scripture and, and think about scriptures that talk about us going to the lost, Stephen mentioned one in Matthew chapter 28 and the Great Commission. And Jesus said, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And he said, 
therefore go make disciples in all nations. Man, these are the last words of Jesus. Some of the last words of Jesus said to disciples. He said, go to all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And do all the things that I commanded you. And then we see in Acts chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, the disciples are asking him, this is just, I mean, months before he's taken up into heaven. And they won't even know when the kingdom of God is going to be restored and what part they can play in it. Uh, are you going to establish the kingdom at this time? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you know, to know the day or the time or the time of the day that the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Judah, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so he's telling them, you know, again, go. Go to, you know, I want you to go to Jerusalem and Samaria, go to those parts of the earth. And then we find this, that, you know, as far as being saved, he said, and anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone that's lost, anyone that previously is lost, anyone that has come to Christ is a new person. The old life, the old lifestyle is gone, and a new life has begun. All of this is a gift of God who brought us back brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling. Listen to this. God is giving you and I this task. We're talking about, you know, this gift that we have. And one of the gifts that we have, one of the commandments that the Lord has given us is that go reach the law. Go reach the law. He said that God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to itself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Listen to that. No longer counting your sins against you. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are God's ambassadors, and God made making his appeal through us, and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's what God's saying this morning to those of you that are distant. And if you drift it from God, God's saying, come back, come back to God, come back to God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've done a lot of sins, you've done a lot of bad things. God said, come back. I mean, he's looking for you over the hill. He's looking for you with a, and the older brother. You know, he said, come back. Come back. Let's have a right relationship with one another again. He said, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, that we can be made right with God through Christ. Alright, so let's go into the laws. Now I want to just touch on going to the hurting I want to use another son from the book of Genesis. And this is the young man. And again, I, I want to I'm gonna skim through this because I, I really want to focus on praying for you. And I know some of you are thinking, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going up. I want to really I want to think about coming up and let somebody lay hands on you and pray for you and giving you the breakthrough that you need in your life today. But we go back to Genesis, and we know the story of uh, Jacob. He's uh, of the whole Israel. He had 12 sons, and Joseph was one of those sons. And Joseph was the son by the woman that he really loved. I mean, just deeply, deeply loved Rachel. And this was his firstborn son, and she had two children before she died. She had uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And uh, Joseph was uh, kind of like that. It says that he was favored by his father, but he was also favored by the heavenly father as well. And God began to give him dreams, and he began to share those dreams with his mother and with his father and with his brothers. And as he began to share those dreams, they became envious, they became jealous, and they, they began to hate him. And um, 
there's a, you know, just all of this animosity that's going on between the older brothers and the younger brothers. And uh, it says that uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 7, verse 4, it says they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Well, they not only just hated him, but, you know, it moves from envy and jealousy to let's, let's kill this guy. And so they devised a plot to kill him. And um, in Genesis uh, chapter 37, uh, one of the brothers said, well, let's not kill him. You know, kill him, you know, he's gone. We can't really make any money. And so let's make some money here. And so they threw him into a cistern and they uh, sold him to a uh, uh, a caravan of uh, Ishmaelites uh, that were traveling through the land, and uh, he ends up in Egypt. And so he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery, and we know that he went to Potiphar's house, and he spent a period of time in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape, and he's thrown into prison. While he's in prison, he has a you know, again, you know, men come in, two men come in from Pharaoh's court, and he they had dreams, and he interprets dreams for them, and Pharaoh has this incredible dream about seven fat cows, and seven skinny cows, and seven fat ears were formed, and seven skinny ears were formed, and uh, the one of the men that was thrown into prison, so uh, remember that uh, Joseph did interpret dreams, and Joseph is uh, raised up in, in Egypt as second in command. So he's sold at 17 years old, and when he's 39, this is 22 years later, um, and I want you to think about this, for 22 years, these are the words that Joseph is saying about. His brothers hated him, they were envious of him, they were jealous of him, and they despised him, and these words are just being rehearsed over and over and over again in, uh, in Joseph's mind. And then in uh, Jacob's mind, his son, Jacob has said, you know, um, he says in Genesis chapter 37, when the brothers pretended that Joseph was dead, they brought the coat back, dipped in some lamb's blood, and said, this is your son's coat, yes it is, and, you know, he says that I will, now listen, he says, I will go to the grave in the morning for my son. Now, some of you are in a place, we're talking about, we're talking about the law, we're talking about talking about the hurting right now. Joseph was hurt by his brothers. He was betrayed by his brothers. Jacob was hurt because of the loss of his son. He was paralyzed. He said that, you know, life for me has stopped. Life for me is over, and I will go to the grave because of the hurt that I had, and I will mourn my son. And then as Joseph gets, uh, is in Egypt, and the famine comes upon the land, Joseph's brothers have to come and they have to they have to stand before him. And uh, no, so we talk about the hurt of the father, we talk about the hurt of Joseph, but I want you to know that there was the hurt of the brothers as well. And we see that in Genesis chapter 40. If you think about this, 20, 22 years has gone by and they get busted. They're in Egypt and um, you know Joseph tries to, you know, they he rec Joseph recognizes his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize him. And he's very harsh with them. And after 22 years, that one of the brothers has to go into prison. Joseph pretends that he's going to lock him up forever until they bring the youngest brother. But listen to this. It says, they said to one another, this is 22 years later, and I want you to know, I believe that they thought about this every day of their life. They were like taken captive by what they had done, the wrong. This is called guilt and shame. This is what we deal with. We, we do things to other people, we deal with guilt and shame. 
They said, and they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. This is something that we did 22 years ago. And we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben said, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen to me. And now we must give an account for his blood. And so you've got the torment of the father, you got the torment of the brother, and you got the torment of Joseph. But something happens in Joseph's life that changes that. And let me see if I can pull it down real quick and then we're going to just kind of move on. It says that once that Joseph was appointed second in command in Egypt, that God began to show up in a great way in his life. And listen to this. Then Joseph, remembering all that his brothers had done to him and how they hated him and despised him, and God gives Joseph a wife and she gives him children. He has two children, two boys. One was named Manasseh and one is named Ephraim. And Manasseh means, listen to this, he names his son Manasseh. And this is what Manasseh means. God had made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. What he's saying is like, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. I'm able to move on by the grace of God. I've been able to move on. And then he has another son, and he says, not only has God caused me to forget all of the trouble of my father's household, he has a son named Ephraim, and it's not, that translates that God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So right here in this place of my suffering, in this difficult place that I'm going to, God's caused me to be fruitful. He's caused me to be prosperous in this place. That's God's heart for you today. He wants you to forget your sorrow and forget your trouble. And he wants you to move on and be prosperous and successful in the land that you're in today. Alright, amen? Amen, that's a good word. Thank you, God. Alright, so, uh, I want to just tell you that, you know, that life, with, with all, the, uh, all the, the pain that we have in life, the wounds and the hurts and disappointment and discouragement and depression, you know, it takes a great toll on our life. You know, as I mentioned, the Bible says that we are a body, a soul, and a spirit. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that the Lord, the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground. That's the flesh, that's the body. And he breathed breath into his, uh, the breath of life into his nostrils. That's the spirit. And man became a living soul. So we see right there in Genesis 2, 7, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And we go back to Genesis, I mean to Luke chapter 4 for just a moment. Jesus shows up on the scene and he sees a whole world that is either like the older son or like the younger son. Either self-righteous or unrighteous. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to bring good news to both the self-righteous and to the unrighteous. And he says, he has sent me to proclaim that the captives the captive would be set free. Now we know that when Jesus was saying these very words that John the Baptist was in prison, and yet Jesus didn't go and take the key and unlock John. He's talking about those that because of your hurts and your wound and your pain and your disappointments, you know, he's talking about those, you know, when, when you think about, you know, going back to the older son, you know, Lord, I've done all of these things. Father, I've done all of these 
days. I've done this, but you haven't come through on your end. You know, uh, I see where, you know, my, my friends are doing a good job. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I'm the last one to get engaged. Uh, they got accepted in the school, I didn't get accepted too. too. You know, my kid didn't make the team. It's like, oh, I've been serving you, Lord, and, and is this the way you're going to treat me? You know, is this, is this how you're treating me, God? And so we, we had that self-righteous attitude. We come back to God, it's like, God, you know, what are you doing? And Jesus is saying, you know, I'm coming to heal you. I'm coming to set the captive free. I've come to set those that, uh, that have been oppressed. I've come to set, come to set them free. And I've come to show you favor. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to show you favor this morning. And Paul says in verse 15, he said, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, listen to this, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted with. So God gives us comfort so we in turn can comfort one another. And then Psalm chapter 9, verse 9 says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in time of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So I'm just going to ask you this morning to you know, put your hope and your faith and your trust in God. And I want you to think about in your mind, the man with the sheep, the woman with the coin, the father with the son, said they rejoice and celebrate. What does that look like? In your mind, what does that look like? Come on, help me out when I say it. What does it look like? Why don't we ask this group over here? What's that look like? What's that celebrating and rejoicing look like? Party. Oh, party. Party, okay? All right. Is that everybody up for that? Can we go party? What else does it look like? How about this group over here? Rejoicing and celebrating when, when, when the woman found her coin and, and the guy found his sheep and the, and the father found his son. What did it look like? Party. Fiesta? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, amen. I think that's what it was like when the, when the father came home. I think that they were happy. I think they were tears all over the place. Just like the Bible says that there are tears in heaven and there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner comes home. And I'm asking the Savior to be ready to come home. And so just with every head bowed, every eye closed, and our prayer ministers, I'm asking you guys to just come up and everybody that all of our deacons and elders. And I want you guys to take your place. But I want to just ask you, are you ready to come home today? And if you are, I want you to raise your hand. I just want you to raise your hand up high. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to pray with you. And Father, I just, uh, I just want to agree with my brothers and sisters that that he knows that they want to just come home to you and just have that right relationship, that restored relationship. Father, we, we do this in the name of Jesus. Father, Lord, we're the self-righteous son of the unrighteous son. God, we come to you and just say, Father, have mercy upon us. And Lord, we become kind of like the prodigal of Lord, that we're not even worthy, we're not worthy to be, you know, called sons of God. You know, we may think that we just, we just have us as servants, but 
your word says that we don't treat us as our sins deserve. That you're full of grace and you're full of mercy. And Father, we come here and just throw ourselves and just stay the feet and just say, Father, full of grace and mercy, have mercy upon us. Receive us, Father. Bring us back home. Bring us back home. Restore that relationship. Let us be reconciled to you.